with the world's most dangerous man, the most censored man in the English language. But honestly, when you get him in front of an outhouse in the woods, it doesn't seem so dangerous. It's a fancy outhouse. <laughs> we have a ruling class in the United States defined by its hatreds, not its loves, not its hopes, but by its hatreds. They hate all kinds of people, large groups of people, the deplorables, the bitter clingers, America's entire blue collar population, the unfashionable people. They're hated by the people who run our country. But no one is hated more by them than a man called Alex Jones. Alex Jones is the single most censored man in all American history. He was the first media figure in our history to be completely erased in one day, deplatformed. Alex Jones was deplatformed before it was a common term. And not just deplatformed, sued, attacked. They attempted to criminally charge him. What did Alex Jones do wrong? Alex Jones didn't rape anybody. He didn't loot Macy's. He didn't burn a police station. He didn't invent a fake cryptocurrency and loot pension funds. He didn't start a pointless war that made this country poorer and more disorganized. He didn't open the southern border. No, Alex Jones had opinions that deeply rattled the people who run America. In fact, rattled a lot of us. And I'll just confess that I first heard of Alex Jones when he questioned the official story behind 9-11. And I, speaking for myself, was deeply offended by this. I didn't take any time to find out what he was saying, but I was bothered by the idea that this defining event in American history, which changed the life of everyone who lived here then, might not actually have unfolded as we were told it did. And that possibility was too destabilizing. And I remember feeling resentment toward Alex Jones for saying that. But several years later, I went up in Austin, Texas, and through a chain of circumstances, wound up meeting Alex Jones. And I learned what everyone who has met him now knows, which is Alex Jones is not a crazy person. Alex Jones has said pretty far out things on TV from time to time. Not that far out. He hasn't said men can become women or Ukraine is a democracy, but within the bounds of say cable news, pretty far out. But fundamentally, Alex Jones is right about a lot of things. And in fact, that's why they don't like him. Alex Jones has an uncanny, really an amazing ability to predict events before they happen. He has called it and he's done it on tape again and again to the point where it's a meme on the internet. Alex Jones, profit, not conspiracy nut, profit. But when you dig into Alex Jones's predictions, they are so spot on that it's remarkable. How does he do this? We're guessing there's a kind of spiritual sensitivity to Alex Jones, maybe that's his secret. He was displaying this years before the average person in this country even thought about matters like that. Now it's pretty obvious to most people that, that the, the current war going on in this country is taking place in ways you can't see it most of the time. But 10 years ago, people were not thinking that way. Alex Jones was. And so we thought it'd be interesting to sit down and talk to Alex Jones, the man. He joins us now in our studio. Alex Jones, thank you. Wow, Tucker, it's great to be here. Amazing studios, amazing, I mean it, amazing people. And uh, this is this is uh, really going to be, I think, a historic interview. So thanks for having me. Well, I'm really grateful to be able to do it. And, and it's just, it's one of the great blessings of my life and of my job is that I've been able to meet people that I've had preconceptions about and sometimes find those preconceptions uh, <laughs> bolstered and in other cases demolished. And you're definitely in the second uh, category. So I want, for people who've made it this far, you know, the people around the country have really succeeded in making you disreputable. And the whole point, of course, is people won't listen to you. 
So we thought it'd be interesting to start with a series of on-tape predictions that you made, some of which are so precise and so prescient that it makes the hair on my arms stand up. And I'm being sincere, and our viewers are about to, about to see what I'm talking about. Here is a list of things that you called ahead of time. By the middle of September, that the new policy is being written, you all have to wear masks again, and so will airport employees. It's happening. Mask mandates are officially back. We know the Joint Chiefs of Staff wanted to blow up airliners, Baltimore Sun, or if you let some terrorist group do it, like the World Trade Center, we know who to blame. And if there was an outside threat like a bin Laden, who was a known CIA asset in the 80s. This group and its leader, a person named Osama bin Laden. He's the boogeyman they need. We're looking at a giant war in February right now. I predict the Russians are going to roll in. They're already there. They're going to roll in. With attacks across Ukraine, which is the size of Texas. It really was the Iraqis. That's just because they're getting ready to invade Iraq. What a beautiful setup. Those 9-11 clips are crazy. I'm actually bothered by the precision of them. I'm not accusing you of being behind 9-11. But how could you, in July of 2001, call that? You said they're going to have airliners fly into the World Trade Center and they're going to blame a guy come all, some, called Osama bin Laden. Now, leaving aside what actually happened, what, how could you have known that? Well, in the longer clips, because it's a multi-hour show from July 25th, 2001, uh, I specifically walked through all the reasons, and I knew that they were hyping up that we were about to be hit by Osama bin Laden. I knew that the World Trade Center had been attacked the first time and that the Fed's been involved helping cook the bomb and allowing it to go forward. And I just saw a lot of the pre-programming uh, that was happening uh, in the media because they were on the news saying, you know, well, life's about to change in America. And I was reading what the Rand Corporation was saying and what the Pentagon was putting out. And I read the PNAC document uh, from a year before, Rebuilding America's Defenses, that Dick Cheney uh, had helped write. And it said we need a Pearl Harbor event on the American homeland to be able to bring in this police state and, and, and this control and then expand the American empire worldwide. So hundreds of pieces of data, <coughs> hundreds of pieces of data went into that prediction. But terrorists are going to hit the World Trade Center in July of 2001. I lived in the United States then. That was the last thing on my mind. And I lived in Washington. I know the guys who wrote the PNAC document because I shared an office with them. So I, I was more informed than the average person. And that was the last thing that crossed my mind in the summer of 2001. Like everyone else, I thought it was a Cessna. But how convinced were you that, that this was going to happen? I was completely convinced. In fact, in, in the full clip that's online, you can find it on Twitter and other places that has been removed. I explained to people that they need to call the White House and, and tell the White House, we know if you allow these attacks uh, that uh, you're basically allowing it to happen. And it was similar to all the data we had when well, I- Well, you said that on, on your show? On my show. And I gave the number out so people could actually call the White House. And, and then going back to October of last year, uh, when the uh, Russians uh, went into Ukraine, I specifically said, I think they'll, they'll go in by the end of February. Uh, and there was a lot of data that went into that. And then they specifically did go in uh, on February 24th. And so I was able to make that prediction as well. But it, there was a lot of data and information that went into it. Sure. I, I'm just, for the record, I miscalled that completely. I didn't think they were going to do it. You were right. I was wrong, not for the first time. But the 9-11 thing, I remember that really well. Nobody was thinking like that. So you called it in public on tape. Did the 9-11 commission... So if I'm the FBI and I'm investigating 9-11, you're like the first guy I would call because you're the only person who said that out loud. Did they call you? 
No, no, they didn't. But my most accurate prediction going back over a decade was when I read the Rockefeller Foundation, Operation Lockstep, uh, and they described using a virus to bring in world government, to bring in a world medical ID that they would then build a social credit score off of and that they would make people wear masks for fear and that they would shut down sporting events and things like that and basically phase in this new tyranny. So I was also able to specifically um, make that prediction over and over and over again because I was going off their own battle plans. Are you the only person in media who actually reads these reports? I don't think a lot of people do read them, but I do read them. I mean, I'm currently reading MIT reports from their top councils, Pentagon uh, reports. They have a working group called the Mad Scientist Group uh, at the Pentagon that works with MIT. And if you go watch their hour-long, two-hour-long, uh, three-hour-long meetings they have on YouTube uh, with all the top, I mean, we're talking hundreds of top scientists, they admit uh, that they're building a post-human world, uh, that soon everyone's going to be mind-controlled, uh, that they're going to put smart dust in our food that they can electromagnetically control, and, it, and they, they just lay it all out right there. And I've learned what these people said in the 50s they would do were done by the 70s. What they said their plan was in the, in the, uh, the 70s for the 90s, they got done. And then when they had their Agenda 21 in Rio de Janeiro in 1992, the big UN summit, they described everything they would do up until the year 2000, and they got almost all of that done. And now they've got Agenda 2030, and we're going to ban your gas stoves, we're going to ban beef, we're going to ban single-family dwellings, uh, we're going to ban private ownership of cars, and we're going to do all this, and, and now you see them rolling it all out. So I'm not really making predictions in these high-level World Economic Forum and other large think tank groups. They are laying out the future, and they're, they're high priests of the World Economic Forum. That's a consortium of all these groups. Yuval Noah Harari, you, you can read his quotes, the future is not human. The human era is over. Uh, the uh, public is useless. I mean, th th this is a very anti-human system. So that's how I'm able to make predictions because they've given us a roadmap. They, they tell us where they want to take us. And so when the public wakes up, we push back on some of it, but they always come back. And so I'm just following the trajectory of where they say they want to take us. And there were a lot of white papers, uh, not just uh, the PNAC document from 2000, a year before 9-11, where they describe, we really need big terror attacks. We really need Pearl Harbor events to get Americans to give up their rights. I mean, take what just happened in Israel, totally tragic. My heart goes out to all that have you know, been killed or lost loved ones or been injured. Uh, but there's no way that one of the best intelligence agencies in the world didn't know that was coming, the massive buildup, uh, the 5,000 missiles, the, the, the paragliding attacks, uh, all of that. And, and, and so there was clearly a stand down there and now the West will take more of the people's rights. Israel will be able to crack down and take more of their people's rights, which is a big debate uh, over there. Uh, Hamas is being funded by Hezbollah, which is Iran. We just had Biden a month ago give $6 billion to Iran. And now the Mullahs are bragging uh, that they were behind the attack, Hezbollah funding Hamas. So really, those aren't even predictions. It, it, it's clear that Hezbollah and Hamas have tens of thousands of men and women as sleeper cells uh, that are, quote, other than Mexican, that the Border Patrol list every month, tens of thousands coming across the Texas and Arizona and California sectors. And it, it's an easy equation to predict that there's a wide probability uh, that Hezbollah and Hamas at some point are going to attack sports stadiums, they're going to attack colleges, they're going to attack synagogues, they're going to uh, you know, shoot up mass gatherings 
uh, if they're given the order by Iran, if we go to war with Iran, and then when this happens, our government won't get in trouble for dissolving the border and letting these people come in. Just like on 9-11, our government clearly had prior knowledge. There was clearly a major stand-down that went on, and the government got more power, more control, and now they're not pointing the Homeland Security apparatus at the Russians like they did in the Cold War or uh, the Islamists after 9-11. Now they admit that their main focus is Christian conservatives and the bitter clingers and the people that live in rural America that, that, that quote, white people, I mean, it says that in the report, are the main terror threat. And so this whole apparatus of the war on terror it has now been turned inwardly against the people, not just here, but also in Europe, uh, where if someone criticizes transgenderism in the UK, they come to their house and arrest them. Uh, if a journalist does that, they come to their house and arrest them. If somebody says, I think these surveillance cameras should start getting cut down, they come to their house and they arrest them for their free speech. And so this is a global movement by the mega corporations, by the Black Rocks and the State Streets and the Vanguards that control 80 plus percent of world wealth uh, to control our behavior. And Larry Fink of BlackRock has said that at the Davos Group repeatedly. We're going to use our control over all this finance and this global social credit score we're rolling out to control people's behavior. So, so that's really what this is. And then they use uh, the threat of global warming. They use the threat of a virus. They use the threat of radical Islam to take our rights. But we really are the target. Even if I, it, by the way, none of that seems implausible at this point. I mean, just you're a measure of how the world has changed. If you'd said this to me 15 years ago, I'd have been like, you know, someone's a crackpot and it's not me. And now after COVID, I don't, nothing you said seems crazy at all. I mean, you may be right, you may be wrong, but it's not out of the realm of possibility, obviously. But even if I disagree with what you just said, I would think that's pretty interesting. It's an interesting perspective. Why do you think you've committed no crime? You'd be in jail if you had. Why do you think they hate you so much? Because I do read their documents and I do read their books and we were effectively getting a lot of people in the military and the intelligence agencies who were compartmentalized and who tuned into my show and, and, and saw my films and, and, and read my books and things. And they clicked with it and said, wow, I see all this going on around me. He's not lying about it. And then I would give them other pieces that I discovered or my other guests had discovered. And so it was giving them an operational awareness outside of their compartmentalization. And so we had massive uh, success in the military, in the police, and in the intelligence agencies, not just here, but around the world. And, and, and so our penetration into those areas to, to help people expand their awareness that were inside the government, inside corporations, was triggering a lot of whistleblowers, was triggering a lot of people not going along with the program. And so really my sin was decompartmentalization of the population. When you got deplatformed, and it, to this day, no one has ever been more aggressively censored, I don't think, than you. Um, I've apologized to you this in person before. I was in Labrador on a fishing trip and missed the entire thing. I was literally out of cell range. Um, I didn't know what happened, but I got back and I, was sh and I read about it. I felt like it was a major moment in the history of the American media. I don't think anybody defended you when that happened. Anybody with any kind of audience. When Tim Cook admitted that he met on the weekend in, in August of 2017 with the other big tech heads and they made the decision to curate like it's a museum and, and, and take me off. It was hundreds of platforms. I mean, it wasn't just all the big ones. It was everything from LinkedIn to our bank accounts being taken away uh, to everything ensuing that week and over the next month. And 
I knew that I was a test case and, and I wasn't taken uh, you know, off those platforms for any demonstrable reason. It was the uh, questioning the school shooting thing that came later. They went and kind of dredged that up from my past, just questioning it a few times, blew that up after I'd been deplatformed and said I was deplatformed for that. But if you check the record, I wasn't. Uh, and, and, and so once they deplatformed me, it, it, it made the show in ways only get bigger with people actually going to Infowars.com and finding me on local radio stations and things. So then they panicked and said, okay, let's look at his record and create more of a reason that he's being taken off. So they took things out of context from five, six years before, blew them up as a current thing out of context and deceptively reported on what I'd said to create a straw man argument to then facilitate the reason. What, what's so saying. crazy is if you asked just a cross section of Americans, who's responsible for the Sandy Hook massacre of, of kids at the school? No one remembers the name of the murderer. Adam Lanza. Okay, thank you. I didn't remember. Alex Jones. They effectively blamed you for a school shooting that you were not present at. I have people come up to me in the parking lot. You can ask my security guy. He's been there when people walk up and go, why'd you kill those kids? And then you go, I didn't kill those kids. And they go, yeah, you did. And 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 so that is what this has turned into. But And this is bigger than me. I want people to understand something that... The mullahs in Iran and the Ayatollah are congratulating Hamas that just killed around a thousand or more innocent Israelis, many of them women, children, disabled people, in a vicious, evil sneak attack. They are on there, Hezbollah and, and, and Hamas, mainly Hamas, but it's Hezbollah funding it out of Iran, are literally posting videos of them cutting people's heads off and killing children and, and massacring innocent people. They're allowed to have their Hezbollah accounts and their Hamas accounts, the Ayatollah is able to congratulate what these people done, and I am still banned. And I'm not mad at Elon Musk. I understand I've been so demonized with the general public. He's barely able to you know, keep Twitter going right now. I really appreciate what he's done. I admire him. I think he's done a lot of great work, and, and I see him moving in the right direction. So a lot of people attack Musk on Twitter. Uh, you know, I trend all the time. Hey, if you're, if you're such an absolutist on free speech, bring back Alex Jones. Uh, I understand that if he did that, the ADL and others would really be able to, to probably shut down Twitter. So, so I understand that he needs to you know, go through a process before he does that. So people get mad at Twitter for not- Why the ADL? I, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not the world's expert on your career, but I, I don't, I, I know you. I've never heard you say a single anti-Semitic thing and an anti-Israel thing. Why would the ADL be against you? I don't, I don't think you've, I don't think anyone's even called you an anti-Semite. Well, unless I'm missing something. I mean, what goes on is the left forever called everybody a racist if you were just a conservative or pro Second Amendment or pro life or thought we ought to have a border. Uh, and that didn't work anymore to call people racist. And so the ADL gets all this big liberal donations. And so they go out and then police and take people's sponsors and, 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 and target them. Uh, just by the ADL calling up sponsors, sponsors get scared and drop. And so that's what they've done to Elon Musk. They've been, you know, they, they, they took over 50% of Twitter's uh, North American and European advertising uh, in just the last year and, and bragged about it uh, by, by saying he gives harbor uh, to white supremacists, which, which, which he doesn't. But, but at the same time, white supremacists are, are ridiculous. They're goofy. Most of them are usually working for foundations that are basically you know, actors. We're not supposed to say that, but there's many cases of that actually being the case and that they're just uh, LARPing that they're white supremacists. But let those clowns speak. Whatever happened to the ACLU that used to support the KKK marching through a town or publishing their own newspaper? I don't support the KKK. I think they're a joke. But 
if you take their rights, you're taking everybody's. But but they're not even taking the rights of those people to post because they create fear and they get the ADL more funding. But if they can target an Alex Jones or an Elon Musk or a Tucker Carlson, uh, then they're going after the real populist leaders that are bringing America together. And so what the left wants is to divide us all according to race uh, and to come out and say fundamentally with critical race theory that inherently being white is bad and teaching five-year-old white children they're inherently bad because they're white. That is wounding their brains and, and really creating racial division. Why do people put up with that? I don't understand why. I mean, that's just, if you had told me 20 years ago, and I grew up in a world where judging people on the basis of their skin color was totally immoral, and, and I still believe that. But if you told me 20 years ago that we were going to live in a world where people get on TV and just be like, I hate white people, they're bad. No, it's totally fine. Like, why, why, why do people put up with that? Like, there should be zero tolerance for that. I don't get it. The Democratic Party founded the KKK. And when the majority were whites in the South in some areas, they played the race card for political power. Now that the majority in most areas are not white, they're playing the good old-fashioned race card of tell whites, you know, stand down, let people take over your society, your culture, give up your culture. It's, it's embarrassing to be white. And then now it's flat out bad to be white. And the left's trying to convert all these minority groups that are now the majority in most areas into race-based systems because that is a very effective but system. But why do people put up with that? I mean, like if they were doing that to Malaysians or Filipinos or Hondurans, I would say you can't do that. You're not allowed to attack people on the basis of their race. I'm sorry, not in a country like this because a country will fall apart and it's immoral. I totally agree. But nobody says anything. Well, I don't the, get it. The reason they've done it is most of the enforcers of this are white liberal women, 45 or older, not fair. It's just a fact. And they're, they're cucked husbands. And so to them... Can I just say that the phrase cucked husbands is the best? It, it, the I mean, best. it really is true. So if you get around these white liberals, they live in the whitest areas. They're totally scared of anybody with brown skin, but they virtue signal constantly and then say, yes, the white people are, are bad. You know, the uh, white people are, are evil. Uh, and, you know, these... these. I mean, I mean I've even seen white people sit there and say, yeah, it's time to deal with, with these crackers. And they're a white person saying that. So From Jackson Hole or Nantucket or Aspen or Bethesda, the whitest places in America. So shouldn't there be a law? Super simple. If you've got a BLM sign in your yard, you should be required to live in Gary, Indiana or Baltimore. Like there, you should not be anywhere near Jackson, Wyoming. You should be made to live in East St. Louis. I totally agree. You should be made to live in Detroit. Yes. And, but of course they've done the studies, they've looked at the statistics. It's not just here, it's in Europe and it's in the UK, like in London, the liberal areas are like 99% white. Oh, I noticed. Okay, and there's a lot of rich people in, in London that aren't white, but they're not even in that area. It, they are the most insular group. And, and, and then they point at white Christian culture and society that actually outlawed slavery in most of the world, was the vanguard of stopping it. And then they don't point at China which is the most uh, homogeneous racist group in the world. It's an ethnostate. It's, it's Han Chinese, period. Well, they teach, as you know on their news, that we are going to have Chinese superiority. We are the Chinese supremacist. Uh, Xi Jinping admires Hitler. Uh, he is literally following a race-based operation that is taking the world over, that owns the majority of Hollywood, that's, that's paid off the Democratic Party. And if you look at all these anti-white uh, shows that you see funded in, in Hollywood, Almost all of it has majority literal communist Chinese government backing that is funding this. So it's real simple. China looks in and sees this diverse culture 
And they say, we're going to use that to split the country up and balkanize it. And that's what they've done. And, and so Communist China, along with the Southern Poverty Law Center and the ADL and all these groups, see America's weakness. And they're literally coming in saying white people are inherently bad because of the color of their skin. They inherently have cheated people. They've hurt people. White people invented racism. None of that's true. It's really just tribalism. And then they organize all these other groups into race-based groups to then unify them under the Democratic Party to attack who is left that tends to be more conservative, and that is some white people in this country. Though they're panicking because more and more blacks are voting Republican, more and more Hispanics are voting Republican. They're starting to figure this out. So now they're in panic mode to bring in totally disenfranchised third world populations who are refugees from the multi-year lockdowns in, in Africa, Latin America, and Asia and the Middle East. They then bring them to UN camps, brainwash them, then bring them to our border, brainwash them more, then send them into the United States, and then literally hold them for years at facilities while they're indoctrinated to be this new political underclass that's then going to be turned loose on America. And that's why you see Democrats giving illegal aliens the right to vote in their cities, giving them driver's license. That's why you see them passing laws. They can be police officers. So they are importing uh, a, a, a new enforcement class uh, against the American people. And they're setting it up along racial lines, not us. They're making it racial, just like Hitler uh, made what he did racial. So, so it, it's the left and the think tanks and the communist Chinese that look at the U.S. and have seen our weakness as race and they are exacerbating. So I, I don't understand. So you're, you're from Texas. You grew up in Texas. Your family's been there a long time. Texas is uh, changing really fast. It's dirty, for one thing, I noticed, uh, because uh, physically dirty, garbage on the side of the road. I never have seen that in Texas before. So your governor could have stopped that. He commands the Texas National Guard, and he didn't. And I feel like that makes him a traitor to the country, but what am I missing? Well, I mean, I... Governor Abbott is, on a scale of one to ten, you know, the best kind of Republican governor is a ten, and the, and the worst is say a one, and like the Illinois so-called Republican, that's really a Democrat. Uh, I would put Greg Abbott as about a five. Uh, the the state is overwhelmed. Uh, there isn't really a state mechanism. It, it's federal to kick people back and deport them. So they have put up barbed wire. They have tried to stop people. They have tried, but then they have to hand them over to the feds. Who released them? Well, why, why not just say the feds are committing a crime? They're committing a crime. This is not allowed under laws passed by the Congress in a democracy. Congress passed laws, and um, so you've got criminals running the country. The Biden administration is criminal, which is true, and we're not we're not playing along. And like, if you don't like it, come do something about it. Meanwhile, every able-bodied man with a black rifle assemble at the border, and we're just going to stop this and save the country. I don't understand. Like, that's not hard. What what, what am I missing? No, I think you're absolutely right. In fact, what the deep state fears would be a coalition of good governors, good attorney generals, giving them the findings and the rulings that they could indeed do that, and then declaring emergencies in the states and having a coalition of the states uh, come in and do this, and then instruct local police and everybody else to not have sanctuary cities. But the problem is, if you're in Texas, every single city, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, are Democrat Party run. Uh, and so Texas is almost purple because the California influx and all the other refugees from New York, many of them bring uh, their leftist ideology with them, even though they're fleeing it. Like locusts, they fly to the next field. Uh, and so that's really the issue uh, is that uh, the, the legislature is 
somewhat cucked, to use that word again. And I think the governor has been cucked. He certainly went along with lockdowns and masks more than really any other Republican governor. Uh, and so I do think Greg Abbott uh, needs to do a better job. But I, I also wanted to list some of the things that the state is up against. But I'll say this. Austin fired a bunch of police and another third quit. Crime everywhere, homeless everywhere, trash everywhere, ruined the city like everywhere else they are. You, you live there. Absolutely. I, you know, that's where my family's from. I've, I've been there since high school. But, but I'm going to have to leave soon because it's, 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 it's gotten more and more like Los Angeles every day. It's very sad to see it. People fleeing L.A., like my friend Joe Rogan, it seems great to him because he went from a really, really bad situation to a bad situation. Uh, but if you've been there, you can, you can see the decline. Uh, you can see how fast it is. And uh, it's, it's really, 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 really sad. And there are just illegal aliens everywhere and refugees from the rest of the country all over the place. Uh, and you see really the economic decline of most of the uh, mom and pop businesses and things. So the same rot we've seen all over the country. Austin was supposedly this big mecca and it was going to be so great. And, and now sadly it's falling apart. I mean, Tucker, you know the answer to all this. You do the best job of anybody with a true Americana populist breakdown, the ruling elites of the world, the, the, the Black Rocks, the State Streets, they're on record saying they don't want our consumer society. They don't want our capitalist society. Uh, it's bad, it's ugly, it's gross. But they're the biggest consumers compared to anybody else in the world. Their, their quote, carbon footprints are thousands of times bigger than the average person. Leonardo DiCaprio or, or, or Klaus Schwab literally have carbon footprints thousands of times bigger than the average poor working American that they're telling you can't have a car or air conditioning. Remember, before Obama left office, he traveled to Latin America, to Africa, the Middle East. And what did he tell them in speeches? The clips are famous. You can't have a car or air conditioning. The earth will overheat and burn up. While he's telling people that uh, by the year 2017, like Al Gore said, we would have areas flooded on the coastal areas while he bought a big house in Martha's Vineyard at one foot above sea level. And of course, it's still there and it hasn't flooded. I mean, his chef died there. You drowned, sadly, but uh, no flooding inside the house, just the dead chef. So they're waging war against civilization and society to make us poor, to, to, to put us under siege and to, to cut off our energy, make the cost of living impossible, to break our old system to bring in something even worse. And that's the Cloward and Piven strategy that the Democratic Party has adopted. And they've done the same thing in Europe. This is a plan. The central banks have unlimited money, but they can't buy all the infrastructure up because people aren't selling. So they've got to crush us and make people so poor that everybody's forced to sell their business, uh, their intellectual property, uh, their physical property, but more importantly, to turn over our bodies to them. We're a UN treaty that uh, O'Biden right now is, that's what I call uh, Biden is O'Biden, is trying to ratify, would literally put our bodies under the control of the United Nations and our medical care policy under it. So It's the pandemic. Pandemic treaty. Yeah. So what this is, is, is really a breaking of our will, a demoralization. That's what the transgenderism is. And two men can have a baby and uh, puberty blockers and castrating little boys and cutting little girls' breasts off. They've got such hellish stuff coming in this designed global collapse to bring in their world government, that they've got to just have all these horrors out there hoping we just throw up our hands and run off to the countryside, which everybody's doing, and in a way that's good. But at the same time, then they've got full control. It's totally right. And they're going to march out of the countryside next and dig us out. So that's, I mean, it. it you look at the White House press secretary, 
who can barely speak English, who's one of the stupidest people I've ever seen, and a transparent liar, you wouldn't hire her to run your copy machine. She's the White House press secretary. Why would you do that? And it's not because of her race or who she sleeps with. I think the whole point is she's so obviously repulsive that it makes you feel bad about the country to see her. That, I, mean, I mean, that's it. We're at a beautiful ball. It's prom night. Everybody's dressed great. There's wonderful food, big, delicious punch bowl. And then they say, what can we do? Well, just have Brian Stelter go take a dump right in that. Yeah. And, and, and then he's there laughing at you. They're all there laughing at you to make you feel small, to make you question reality. Why is everything so ugly? I mean, that's why they tell people, hey, you can be homeless anywhere. You can crap on the street, needles, throw your garbage everywhere. D drug dealers can sell you drugs. Uh, we're going to give the homeless all this government funding. Liberal groups come in and farm and milk each homeless person and skim a big cut of the money off the top. It's, it's a crop. But then you, a, a cash crop. But then we see that and we think it's all over. There's nothing we can do to demoralize us and make us give up. And even though I'm conscious of this, even though I know this, it's still at a DNA level. I'm like, I got to go to the country. I got to get out of here. I've got to separate myself from this. But then when they release this toxic, cultural, poisonous gas, they push us out of those areas and they get the main infrastructure yes. to then organize that, cut off the food and supplies to that group they have and then tell them, the reason you're doing that is not BlackRock and the WF and Bill Gates. It's all those evil people on the countryside. They're all white supremacist and terrorist and racist. Let's go get them. Because the last group they don't control is rural people that are self-sufficient. And so I get going to the countryside, protecting your children. Uh, that, I mean, that's the holy grail. The problem is you've got to have one foot in each. You've got to go back and fight in the city for the infrastructure, for the government. You've got to give people hope while also building a backup operation with farming and, and ranching and self-sufficiency. So that's why the WEF and the UN are coming in in, in in Ireland and in areas of Asia and in the Netherlands and saying, by 2030, 80% of your cows have got to be dead. And they just banned like 30% this year in the Netherlands. And it didn't matter people were 80% against it in polls. It didn't matter. Uh, they sent the military in against the peaceful farmers that were just protesting, just like the peaceful truckers in Canada got brutally attacked. And so they're all WEF globalist alumni that the big banks on record brag. They've penetrated the cabinets, to, to quote Klaus Schwab. They've put their operatives in to cut off our energy, demoralize us, release the hardened criminals, put the political activists in prison, uh, continue to cut off the resources to make an angrier world. Klaus Schwab says, we're going to make the world collapse. We're going to have everybody turn against each other. We're going to blame the political classes that we own and control. And then when we're done, we'll bring in our new solution. But first, they have to demolish the cultures and societies that we had before with the fentanyl, with the open borders, with the demoralization, and then they bring in their next phase, which is a high-tech cashless society, robot drone-controlled nightmare. Uh, more than half of the U.S. in their official U.N. maps that they've had for more than 25 years, they're in some of my first films, show half the U.S. off-limits to humans. Uh, all cars will have to have GPS. Everybody by law will have to have a cell phone at all times. Australia just did this last year, you know, tried to push it through. And that's the admitted global UN standardized plan where you don't leave your house without a cell phone. Every car uh, is, is uh, robot kill switch, GPS controlled. California is moving to ban all the quote classic cars. That's any car that doesn't have a digital uh, ignition. And they admit it's for control. So if people think things are bad now, 
the straitjacket, the ball and chain is going on. It's all being militarily run. Our military is great men and women, but at the top, our military has been globalist trained New World Order people for at least 30, 40 years. They've got almost every general, every person under their control. And that's why it came out in the UK and, and Europe and also here in Canada. You pull up the headlines, uh, Defense Department purposely scared public into lockdowns, masking, and taking inoculations. Uh, UK headline, uh, British Ministry of Defense secretly brainwashed and terrorized public. Canada, same headline. They even let you know, oh, the military is here to do this. And now, oh, the CIA and Justice Department is there to help surveil the public to stop disinformation. And it, it turned out, of course, almost all that disinformation was true. Uh, Always. About everything. So we have to understand, our governments have been seized. The big corporations want to get rid of the American idea. Well, you got 50 acres and your house and a business and a farm, and you can take care of your family, and, and, and you're independent. They have to destroy all that because the rest of the world aspires to that. Instead, they want 15-minute cities, central bank digital currencies. Uh, they want uh, all of these systems that track and trace everything you do in the social credit scores. And the plan for the rest of the public, uh, uh, I mean, we're talking 99%, is 250 square foot coffin apartments, uh, 5G bathing you in them, uh, literally eating bug protein. And I told people 10 years ago, they're going to push bugs on the public because I read it in their white papers. Now it's already in grocery stores all over the U.S., all over Europe. Uh, they're, 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 they're putting the cricket meal into the food, very toxic. Undisclosed, yeah. It, it's got chitin in it. Yeah, they'll just give it a number. It's like it's got like a code. And you ask again, why would you do that? Because it's all about breaking our will. They don't want people to aspire to open free societies. Yeah, there's a lot of waste. There's decadence. There's issues, but there's freedom. They want to train us to live on carbon rationing, food rationing, a very dystopic world. You'll own nothing, you'll have nothing, and you'll be happy. Now, these are quotes. I have to say, I, I bet there are, I don't know how long into this we are, 30 minutes or something. I bet there are a lot of people watching who are thinking, holy smokes, I can't believe I'm agreeing with Alex Jones. I'm supposed to hate this guy. Like, where's the lie in what you just said? I, I'm, I'm not sucking up, I'm sincere. Like, I'm listening to this, and even myself, I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm nodding along to Alex Jones and being like, you're absolutely right. Like, wh wh where are you wrong? Well, I just hope people realize that we're all under the gun. So many of these leftists believe that because they go along with us, they're going to be given powerful positions in this system. This is a technocracy. There's almost no managers in this. Almost nobody uh, has power in the system except a very small group of technocrats who happen to be transhumanist. And you said something really astute a few weeks ago in a speech you gave, and you've also talked about on your show, that all of this stems from their fear and denial of death. So one of the... Um things I, I find so striking about you, having watched you on and off over the years, and this must be a burden for you personally, but your ability to see people at a deeper level or to see things in them that are not obvious to the rest of us. And I want to give a specific example. So there's a guy called Brian Stelter who had a, the media show on CNN. I first met Brian Stelter when he was a high school student or a first-year college student because he would hang around the show I worked on at the time at CNN. This was 20 years ago at least. And I always thought he was awkward and weird and probably had a super creepy personal life, but I, I never took him seriously. There's a pretty famous clip, and I want to play it right now, of you critiquing Brian Stelter 
And you take him way more seriously than I ever did, and I think you're right to. So this is a pretty famous clip of you on Brian Stelter. Hell on earth! He wants to run your life. He wants to control every aspect of your life because he knows he is a cowardly, degenerate sack of anti-human trash. I pledge before my heavenly Father that I, 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 I that I will resist them every way I can. These people are the literal demon spawn of the pit of hell. Look at him. And you know what? He is better than you if you keep letting him run your life. He runs your kids. He runs the schools. He runs the banks. This guy, this spirit, this smiling, leering devil that thinks you can't see what he is. He is your enemy, period. All the narcissistic devil-worshipping filth. I see you, enemy. I see you, enemy. Enemy! Enemy! You are my enemy! And I swear total resistance to you with everything I've got. Disingenuous, fake, false, broke back, twisted, a defiler, a betrayer, a backstabber, a devil! You don't think I don't see you, Stelter? I see you, you understand me? I know what you think of me and my family. I see you right back. You understand that? You understand that, Stelter? <laughs> I've only watched that several hundred times. Um, and I laugh every time, but I also, there's something to, if Brian Stelter had absolute power, would you and your family survive? Of course not. You wouldn't. You'd be, of course not, and neither would mine. So there's a lot that's true about what you said. How did you perceive that? The rest of us just made fun of him. Now, once they started the censorship and deplatforming, remember back then they would deny it. Oh, yeah, we're taking people off air, but it's not censorship. Now they admit, no, it's censorship. We're doing this for your own good. So he was really the face of that, and he was working for the head of CNN that was really in charge of it. It later came out. Uh, CNN currently is not in charge. They've handed it completely over to the Justice Department to quarterback, as Congress re reported a few months ago with the documents. But at the time, Brian Stelter and his mini-me, uh, Oliver Darcy, his were, were going around calling up and harassing my sponsors, taking sponsors away, uh, and they were going around and, and organizing big tech uh, to, to take uh, not just myself, but many other people offline. And so he was destroying our free speech. He was taking our sponsors. But it's crazy. I just want to restate. You are not promoting race hatred. You're against race hatred. You never have promoted that, ever. You're not promoting violence. You've never called for violence. And you've never even called for breaking the law. And so that's why there's so much anger there, because I remember the day I did that and a few other clips that went viral. I showed all the stuff he was doing, but then... The, the media attacked me and just click, clicked it out of context, but still it reverberated with people because people were sick of the corporate legacy media. So people say, well, why is he so angry? Well, it's because he's literally trying to take us off air, literally taking our sponsors. I mean, the equivalent of the Vikings a thousand years ago in England pulling up and burning a village down. And, and so there he is all sweet and liberal and cackling and laughing, but he's really an agent of anti-American totalitarianism and so he was the front man of that. And I wanted to just simply say, well, you're right. I see you, I know what you're doing. So people see it out of context and think, why are you being so mean to him? Well, I mean, he's literally trying to destroy my free speech, take me off air and, and put my family on the street. So I'm pissed off at him. What's interesting is, and I, I mean, I don't know if you want me to reveal this, but we had dinner in our barn last night and there were some drinks. And uh, after dinner, you, you and my producer called Stelter 
on the phone. And what was so, and, and it was on speaker, so I listened to it. What was so interesting was, you know, you've been very clear in a very direct, pretty masculine way, I would say, about how you feel about Brian Stelter. There's not a lot of confusion about your views on Stelter after clips like that, which doubtless he's seen because he Googles himself compulsively. He was very kind of syrupy sweet with you. And that's why I was sarcastic and told him I want to date him. You did, yeah. In fact, the exact line that you had was, Brian, I'm not usually gay, but I want you. Yeah. And he seemed a little bit, I'm not saying he's open to it or whatever, but he wasn't shocked by and it. And he's like, give me your phone number. Give me, you know, I'll talk to you. Yeah. And then he hit your producer up. Please give me his number right now. Let's Yeah, that talk. was interesting. But, but I was being silly with him. But, but there was also a line. He goes, oh, Alex Jones. I, I, I said, I want you to come on my show. And he said, oh, you still got a show? And I went, no, you're the one that doesn't have a show. <laughs> then, sorry, I should it's so, the other line. It's so boorish to like recount conversations people weren't witnessing. It was funny, though. But... You said, you know, you, you, you know, you're, you're off TV now, but you were a real star. I mean, not on CNN, but on my show. <laughs> it was so good. Anyway, but what was interesting was if someone had talked about you that way and then called you late night after a couple of drinks, you'd say, you know, up yours, pal. You know what I mean? Like buzz off or I'm not taking your call. But he kind of sucked up to you. That's a very weird passive aggressive posture. Well, I've said a lot of really mean things about him and, and attacked him. And when I watched the clips out of context, I feel guilty. But he was going around with Oliver Darcy. They would brag on Twitter and literally hitting hundreds of my sponsors. And I say hundreds, I'd have like 20. They'd take them all. I get 20 more, take them all. This went on for years. So you go get a sponsor, you get them, they're doing great. He takes it away from you. And then he brags that him and Darcy, I was taken off Twitter, not for the Sandy Hook stuff that came later that they focused on. Look it up. Uh, they had... Um, the former head of Twitter and the, and, and the lawyer on Joe Rogan about four years ago. And Joe said, why did you ban Alex Jones? The lawyer goes, okay, let me open my, my clipboard. She goes, here's why. He was mean to Oliver Darcy. So I'm at the Capitol. They're having censorship hearings. Sundar Pichai is there. I just confronted him in the hall. Who runs Google. And you guys are welcome to use that if you want. And then that was at the Senate. So now they were going over to a house meeting and there's Oliver Darcy in the line. He gets to get in. I don't even get into a hearing where they then attacked me. They'd attacked me at the last hearing but I don't get to face my accuser. And so I get in his face. I don't threaten him, but I say, you are an evil man. You're un-American coming after my free speech, harassing my sponsors, trying to get me off the internet. And the last place I was on was Twitter. They'd held out. Uh, and so uh, Jack Dorsey had held out. And so Jack Dorsey admitted, well, the last straw was I bullied Oliver Darcy. And so that's why I was deplatformed. Elon Musk thinks it was the Sandy Hook thing. Uh, and, and notice- Do you know that in most cultures, Bullying Oliver Darcy would be like a rite of passage. Like you couldn't, like that would be a positive good, right? Well, but here's the thing. He's literally on Twitter taking my sponsors, calling for me to be silenced. So he's been attacking me, attacking my speech and my, my and my living. And then all I do is shove a camera in his face while he's waiting to go into the hearing for five minutes and say, man, you are un-American. You, you, you got some evil eyes. And I said, you really look like a piece of slime. I mean, I told him that. And, well, fair, fair. And, and so... The point is, he's a man. He's a, quote, journalist in the arena. He goes around harassing people and stalking them uh, financially and, and, and their free speech. He'd, he'd already bragged that he'd gotten me taken off all this other stuff and that he was instrumental, which he was. And then he can't take me saying, man, you're a jerk. Right. So, well, so, this, so this, this is the classic posture. You know, stop hitting me, he says, as he, you know, fires a gun through your windshield. Well, I mean, well, that Exactly. They can dish it out, but they can't take it. So what's the effect on you? And I don't mean even the lawsuits against you and there was there was an effort to criminally indict you, I guess, just for having bad opinions or whatever. A bunch of them, actually. A bunch of them, yeah. We've had four grand juries I've had to respond to. 
subpoenas. My when you've committed no crime, you're not. You're like the one of the only people in media who's not ginning up race hatred. I would say, just to be totally clear, because it's very common to do that. You don't do that. And but, so anyway, and then of course this billion dollar judgment against you for having naughty opinions, which is insane. I'm not even talking about that. I just mean. What's it like to spend 25, 30 years connecting the dots and seeing this slow-moving storm come toward the country that you were born in? What, what effect does that have on you? Since you use the analogy of a storm, it'd be like if I was 100 years ago before they had radar, and I've read about the famous flood 120-some years ago in Galveston that killed tens of thousands of people. Oh, yeah, the hurricane, yeah. Yeah, the hurricane. They didn't, know, they didn't have radar, and so they didn't know, but... Uh, you know, there are the fishermen out there catching shrimp or whatever. And then all of a sudden, here comes basically a tidal wave. And if I was one of those fishermen, and I knew my children and my wife were on shore at school or work or whatever, and here comes a 40, 50 foot wave, I know it's about to kill them. I would not be thinking about myself watching this giant wave come in. I'd go, oh my God, my wife and kids are over there. And so it's not that I'm a hero. It's not even a selflessness. I, I realized that I was just out in front and ahead of some people in understanding this uh, because of family and, and, and research and just, you know, things in my life that I saw that encouraged me to get involved in the media uh, because I was aware of the globalists and some things that were going on because my uncle was high level. I ran Contra, had some other family uh, that you know, worked in clandestine things. So I kind of grew up uh, just around folks that knew what was really going on. And you're a kid, you don't really pay attention to it, but you kind of get that education, even though you don't know you're getting it. And so I've just been out front. So I would liken it to in the old days when a dam would break and they didn't have radio to warn people and the dam breaks and it's a 20 foot wave coming down the valley and you are down below the dam as you know, let's say a, a uh, lumberjack and you know your wife and children are two miles down and you see the dam break and you're about to drown. But I guarantee the last thought you're thinking is it's gonna get my women and children. And, and that's, that's really, my grief is this is really draconian. This globalist, great reset, new world order takeover is a post-industrial world, cut off the resources, 90% forced depopulation, breaking civilization by design, massive wars, famine. They've already cut off a third of the fertilizer in the last year worldwide. It's estimated that'll kill a couple hundred million people. Uh, the lockdowns worldwide, not the virus. The UN admits killed 80-something million extra people in the last three and a half years. And, 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 and so when the first world collapses, the third world dies. And then what's left of them floods us. And so the earth is being put into a countdown collapse right now. And so I'm like the fisherman when the tidal wave comes in and I'm like, oh my God, my wife and children are about to die. And, and, and so I'm not really worried about me because I'm a man, I did this, I knew it was coming, I've been proven right. And I'm not happy I was proven right. I wish we could have gotten ahead of this and stopped it. Yeah, we have a lot of credibility now that people see we, that we were right. So maybe we can stop the next phase of it. But the globalists have gone from testing phase beta test phase into full operational now. And they say, read their writings, we are going to have a post-industrial world by 2030. We will have no personal cars by 2030. You will be eating bugs by 2030. And we will start uh, the, the depopulation of 90% of the people by 2045. That is the official WF, official UN, official Club of Rome plan. What do you mean the depopulation? They want to bring the world population down to 500 million. But I thought we were opposed to genocide. No or no? I guess we're not. Well, you know, we're told now, don't have children, it's bad for the earth. And we're told all this, and Elon Musk is right and is a hero for pointing out all the actuaries show, if you don't have 2.1 children, a man and a woman, 
people go, well, man, a woman can have 2.1. It's, it's in the aggregate, folks, out of billions. If a country doesn't have 2.1, 2.2 replacement rate, then you don't have people to take care of the old folks, society collapses. And so uh, Japan's 1.3, Italy's 1.3, they're done as cultures. Uh, America, without immigrant influx, is uh, about 1.6. That's not, that's not viable. Uh, and so, and I'm not just talking about white people only here, but white people are 7% of the world population, maybe eight. Uh, and so I would be sad if the last of the Eskimos were dying. I'd, I mean, I'm sad that the Japanese, within 100 years, uh, there might be 20 million of them. Or something. But just to my previous question about, and without getting too personal, but like, I mean, I feel a little bit enervated and down just hearing your dot connecting here. Like, what's the effect on you over 25 years? I mean, if you literally foresee 9-11 before it happens and you did and it can be proven, we just proved it. Like, what is that? What's that like to live with that weird ability? Well, I mean, I know a specific clip. Um, I, I specifically say, call the White House, tell them we know they're going to let Al-Qaeda attack us, bin Laden, and then, and then, and then take our rights. And I say, call the White House. I, I put the number out, so I put my money where my mouth was. And that's the only time I ever said, call the White House and tell them to stop a particular event. I'm now saying we need to call the White House and say, you've let tens of thousands of military-aged men from the Middle East in. We know a lot of them are Hezbollah and, and Hamas. The FBI has confirmed that. And so when and if there's big terror attacks, which I believe will probably happen in America, we're not going to have Homeland Security get more funds and more power and grope us at the airports more. I want prison time for uh, the agencies and groups that have allowed this. And, I, and yes. I, want, I want O'Biden. I want Biden impeached now. Okay? That's why we got rid of McCarthy. It, it needs to happen. Leaving the border open when there is a clear and present danger of this going on and when we're very close to war with Iran. We go to war with Iran, they're going to activate Hezbollah. Okay? And then that, they, they make Hamas look like choir boys. And, and, and so you want to hear a prediction here. It's a probability, not a pure prediction. But, I mean, I, if we go to war with Iran, guaranteed sleeper cells activate. It'll make what happened in Israel look tame in comparison. I'm not lessening what happened there. So I, I'm simply, and, 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 and then again, where's the logic? The government that allows that to happen should go to prison. I agree. But instead, like 9-11, they're going to get more power when it happens. Mark my words. So, so. But you you can't have guns because we let in foreign sleeper cells to kill you. Exactly. And, and you asked the question, this has really taken a toll on me, not the fake lawsuits, not the weaponization, not, not the deplatforming. Uh, I was already getting exhausted five, six years ago. And when I married my second wife, who's amazing, I have three children with my previous wife and one, one you know, they're all great children and, and one with her. We were in Hawaii getting married uh, like seven years ago. And I said to her, I said, I want to just write books and make documentary films and maybe do an occasional podcast. I, but at that time, I've been on air like 20, 22 years, uh, six days a week, three hours a day at least. And uh, I said, I just don't want this burden, this big crew. I love the crew, but I don't want to do this anymore. I said, I want to move the country and uh, I want to uh, just, you know, because it's taking a physical toll to every day look at the stuff. And now I've gotten to the point which even though I say don't let them break your will, don't let them demoralize you, that's because I understand the process. It's happened to me. Used to, I'd have hundreds of incredible stories and clips every day. I couldn't wait to expose the bad guys. Now I look at it once, I'm ready, I study it. And then half the time I get on air and I just go, let's just take calls. Or I start talking about some fun story just because I mentally cannot sit there and stare into the abyss and stare at Biden or you know, their press secretary that's meant to enrage us and demoralize us. 
And I think that's a defense mechanism that's healthy. So I think we all have to be balanced. I'm not asking people to only fight tyranny. Uh, I'm asking people to get prepared, get ready, but wake up as many people as you can and then do whatever you have to to stay sane because this, we have record suicide, we have record depression, we have record drug abuse. Uh, this country has been attacked. And if you read deeper in the globalist writings, they admit they're doing it. Uh, and so we have to be aware of it. If you're aware of an attack and aware of a manipulation, it doesn't give you full immunity from it. Uh, no, it doesn't. But it, 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 but, but it gives you a buffer. Imagine people that don't know what's going on and they really believe things are dangerous, things are bad, not because of the corrupt corporations that are running things, but because those evil people in the countryside don't want to be left alone. That's what they're saying on the news. It's the it's the people in the middle of nowhere that want to be left alone. They're the bad guys, and it's the it's the five year old you know kid that's white. You know they're really bad. They're all inherently really bad, and just just this is a demonic assault, and and, and it really is good versus evil. But the key part you raised earlier in, in, in previous shows that I mentioned that I didn't get into because there's so many topics is this: when you said we need to brood on death. You talk about a simpatico or a synchronicity or a weird moment. I don't usually watch your show when it first releases one day because I'm usually at work and doing stuff till night. But I'll get up at like four or five in the morning, hours before my wife and daughter get up, and I will start, you know, get on the desktop, start doing research. And, then one of the, and when I'm reading news and sending stuff to the crew for the show, I'll almost always go click on your show to watch it. And, you know, you know that's the go to thing I'll, I'll have on the background. And I said, well, I'm not going to click on the show. I'm going to click on the speech you gave a few weeks ago. And you talked about uh, brooding on death. And I'm sitting there that week literally thinking about the fact that we've got to be humble. We've got to be thankful. We've got to realize that there's an infinite universe and consciousness. And that focusing on what made humanity, focusing on you know, the fact that we are spiritual beings, but that this life is finite. And these incredible experiences, all the people we've met and known and all the ancestors before us that did incredible things and went through hell and were tough as nails to get us here really ties us into our ancestors and the epigenetic instinctive knowledge uh, that really makes us a colony or hybrid creature of all of our ancestors. We have a soul, we have a spirit, we have our genetic uh, imprint that, that they've proven mathematically is multidimensional, even above the third dimension. So we have a personal spirit. But really, we also have a collective bodysuit that is a collection of all of our ancestors and just the beauty and the wonderment and the spectacularness of that, dwelling on how, how incredible that is, but also leaning in to eternity and leaning in to this body and, and this incarnation, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying reincarnation, incarnation, uh, b b being so magical and that also that death is the great equalizer and that you will be humbled and you will get old and your teeth will fall out and you and your hair will fall out and you will get cancer or you will have a heart attack. And no matter how powerful you are, you're not in control in that. It, yes. it tunes you into God. And then what you said, so I'm heavily focused on this and telling my wife this and I meet with my dad, who's really my mom. And I don't see them as much as I should. My dad's really always told me this and I didn't really get it when I was younger. Now I get it. You know, as, as I get older and I'm sitting there just literally praying that morning and drinking coffee and just focusing on death and just focusing on life. Because when you focus on death, it makes life so much bigger and focusing on what I, I'm not a Hindu and I'm not a uh, Sikh, but the Sikhs are like a 500 year old version of 3000 year old Hinduism. 
and they they think everything's a manifestation of God in the universe around us, and then interfacing and how we take every moment of how magic it is is what's going to resonate in the future to bring us close to God, so that we basically resonate into the higher dimension with God, and that's really been my instinctive understanding of it, spiritual understanding, the dream understanding of it, that I didn't read books and I read what the Sikhs are saying. It, it's basically, I was reading some of their writings just a month ago and it, and it was about focusing on death so you also understand life and, and being humble and being a servant and, and how that's what empowers you so you're not an asshole. You know, like your dad would tell you, you know, you know, you know focus on the fact that I'm, I'm an asshole and shouldn't be. We all have the asshole side. Yes. You, you have a better quote, but the, of your dad's quote is The root better. of all wisdom is knowing what an asshole you are. It, and, and it really is. My dad always says the root of all thing is, is being humble and appreciating things and not getting on a power trip, basically what your dad's saying. Yeah. And so, because that's, that's wise men. And, and, and so I'm sitting there totally focused for like, I wouldn't call it meditation, but like 30 minutes just sitting there in the dark with the computer screen on. And I go, no, I'm not going to watch Tucker's show from yesterday. I'm going to watch this speech. And I click it and I'm like 10 minutes in and you go, we got to say everything I'm saying. I didn't even said this on air. I'm hearing you say basically the same thing because it's a universal truth that I want to bring the next piece to it, which you talked about. You grew up in this super wealthy area of California when you weren't, you know, spending your summers here in Maine. And speaking for you, I watch show all the time and you know, re read your material. It's beautiful. And, you were talking about how they're totally freaked out and neurotic and crazy because no one talks about death. Everybody shelves away the old people. They basically put them out on an ice float or, you know, burn them like the Vikings. And that by doing that, that's what makes them not be connected to reason and God and, and the deeper things. And that's why they're so lost. That's totally true. So let me now take you one step further in this. The globalists are so scared of death. They have all this money, all this power, all this control. So they're obsessed with finding life in such a technology merging with machines, becoming gods. That's their new religion. That's the transhumanism. Ah. And that's where all their funding goes. But that's only one side of the coin. The other side is that if you're going to be God, you've got to be in charge of death. So because they fear death and they project their hatred of themselves onto us, then if they can poison us, dumb us down, sterilize us, depopulate us, they believe that's more for them at a very greedy level. So they want to be death, the destroyer of worlds, to quote Oppenheimer, I've become death, destroyer of worlds, and at the same time, cheat death. So it's a total subconscious obsession with death. Instead of consciously focusing on it, getting over it, instead they turn it loose to their animal lower alligator brain and are now manifesting all this because they've not embraced the higher level of yes, understanding. I agree with that completely, but it's doomed as a project, no? I mean, it is the Tower of Babel. Whenever you see in history is the story of this, people drunk on their own power, overstating their control over things, becoming convinced they're God, and then being destroyed. I mean, that is just, I mean, it is just an endless loop of that story. It's a law of humans. It's a law, exactly. And so it, this can't, I mean, this isn't going to work. They're going to blow up the world before they do this. There's well, just you, not possible. You just stole my thunder, because we've not talked before this. We've talked about a lot of stuff, but nothing about the show, really. It's a law, just like gravity, just like two plus two equals four. It is the fabric of the universe. And I was about to say, in the past, megalomaniacs would try to control everything, order the firstborn, you know, killed. Almost every kingdom would do that, whether it was Egypt or you know, the, the, the Druids. Oh, there's too many young men being born, kill them. Yeah. I mean, you know, depopulation's always been there. In the time of Plato, 2,500 years ago, he thought the world was overpopulated. So that's kind of where the eugenics comes from and where they get these ideas, you know, the, the greatest philosopher ever, who said a lot of great things, but also said there's too many Greeks, we need to kill most of them. 
you know, they're animals, they're dumb, we need to control breeding, it only makes supermen. That's where Hitler got all that. That's where all this comes from. But the 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 central issue here is in the past, civilizations would just fall apart when they got into a decadent phase. You know, hard men make good times, good men make uh, hard men make good times, good times make soft men, soft men make bad times. Exactly. And so instead of going through that cycle and the collapse of that corrupt system, now there's biological weapons, chemical weapons, nuclear weapons, all this other advanced stuff. Instead, they're going to try to use the robots and all the control and the nuclear weapons to make us finally get under their mark of the beast, finally get under their unified system of control, finally get under their social credit score, which was predicted by you know, these incredibly connected people 2,000 years ago, that this would be the ultimate tyranny that was coming, almost, not almost, psychically seeing it into the future because of the great evil potential. Time's really a loop. It was looping back or bouncing back. Real psychics seeing into the future what was going to happen in Revelation as a potential, I believe, and is actually a warning that we don't have to follow that course. And, 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 and that's my own personal belief. So, uh, so instead, whether you believe Revelation or not, they're, the evil globalists, the selfish globalists, are using it as a blueprint and literally building the mark of the beast casual society, where you don't just, oh, I agree to take this mark, I can buy and sell now. You have to worship the beast that can be seen by all on earth at the same time. It describes these big holograms you've got to watch and worship. And it tells you what to do. And it tells you how to live. And it says men become women and women become men and children are set upon their parents. And there's nothing but wickedness being invented. And it describes everything that's now happening and says when they roll this out, you've got to worship this world government. You've got to worship the system and do exactly what it says or it doesn't let you buy and sell. And, and so whether people believe in the Bible or not, believe in Revelation or not, it is now manifesting. I don't see a lie in that. I don't think I am a Christian, but I don't think you need to be one uh, to arrive at exactly the same conclusion. So you live in Austin, Texas. You've been there since high school. Austin's changed a lot. And uh, as you noted, it's been really overwhelmed by people from the West Coast fleeing the decayed societies that they built. You live among liberals now. What do you make of them? What are they like? I really feel sorry for them because compared to, say, my dad's dad, yeah, uh, like you were telling me about your uh, your foreman or your you know, manager knows how to do electricity, knows how to build houses, knows how to fish, hunt. You know, we just saw that big moose he got today. Yeah, uh, these these guys are impressive, and they can do everything. My grandfather could do everything. Uh, he could fix a combine with literally rubber bands and tin cans. He you know, cut up into pieces. And my dad's the same way. I'm a shadow of them and their can do, uh, and compared to liberals, I'm like light years ahead of them. They live in high rises. They get food delivered to them. Uh, they, they're not in reality. Uh, they don't have common sense. They go out the most dangerous areas that I wouldn't go into armed in, 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 in places like New York, dangerous areas of Austin, and get stabbed, raped, murdered, killed. Then they defend the people their families do that killed them. Uh, they just are like pod people. Uh, they are just these obsolete creatures that most of them have, I guess, jobs because they work for big tech or the system, uh, but they are just completely disconnected, domesticated, very, very politically ignorant, culturally ignorant, historically ignorant people. And they think they're elitist. They think they know a lot. They think they understand a lot. They're totally useless. What, what do they do for fun? Well, I was about to say, and they're the ones that want to depopulate. They're the ones that think that uh, like Bloomberg said, oh, what's a farmer do? It's easy to stick a seed in the ground, it grows. 
farming is incredibly hard. You better know what you're doing and you got to have the weather on your side. And it's a all around the clock job. I've had family that are farmers. My dad grew up as a farmer and a rancher. I've, in the summers, they would send me to work on farms and ranches, best education I ever got. It's rough. It's, it's, it's tough. Uh, and but is it really essential? Is food really essential? Well, we're told <laughs> by John Kerry in the last few months, he says we need to cut farming. Now, organic farming is- Is he still alive, Is bad on the earth. I don't think, he, I think it's a corpse. It seems, he seems like a corpse. Like a rubber face. Somebody An animatronic said, Chuck E. Cheese. I thought he passed years ago, but somebody told me he's still alive. I don't. I guess it's an open question. He runs around giving speeches saying we've got to cut farming, uh, or people are going to starve. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm not joking. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Cut down trees. Cut the food off. Cut the fertilizer off to save people. Well, speaking of starving, I mean. Again, as I said at the outset, and I meant this, I've never seen a single person, I don't think there ever has been a person in the history of the United States who was not criminally charged, but was punished to the extent that you have been. I mean, they've really tried to drive you into the grave. I think to be fair, it's been worse for Trump, but I'm the second. Yeah, that might be right. He has much bigger resources, though, to back him up. Oh, absolutely. He's the head of a political party. I've spent everything. I'm completely out of money. I'm still hanging on. But yeah, Trump still has resources. I, I, I don't. I mean, they lied about my resources too. Said I had all these resources. Now it's been proven it wasn't true. Uh, so yeah, they've definitely. But they, it was more than a billion dollar judgment against you for saying something other people didn't like. I well, guess. Well, let's be clear. Misrepresenting what I said, I was defaulted by both judges in Texas and Connecticut, and the judge said I was guilty. Then wouldn't let us put on a defense and had a jury decide the damages. Then they put on experts saying I was worth four hundred million dollars when I had a couple million dollars last year in my account during the last trial. Now I have nothing. I'm actually upside down uh, right now. Uh, and so that's- So how are you, I mean, how are you, li- I mean, they've decided like, you're not allowed to make a living in this country. You've been not just deplatformed, but depersoned, debanked. Um, how do you make a living? Well, I have been maxed out personally. I'm in bankruptcy, but I've done a chapter 11, some chapter five reorganization for free speech systems that is the company that owns InfoWars. And so that company's barely paying its bills and is, 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 is operating, but- we're barely hanging on. I personally uh, never, you know, had that much stuff. Contrary to what I said, so it really hasn't hurt me that much. I'm, I'm not really into fancy things or a bunch of ostentatious uh, lifestyle. Contrary to what they've said, uh, and so we're we're funding the operation. We're selling products. We're what are you selling? Uh, I mean, well, you know, we sell books, films, T-shirts. We sell high quality supplements. Then they call it snake oil, but we sell the same stuff private labeled uh, that Whole Foods sells. Just you know, high end, high quality stuff. I've, it's not just a fundraiser. I've got the book, The Great Awakening, Defeating the Globalist and Launching the Next Great Renaissance. My last book that came out last year was a number one bestseller uh, on the USA Today and Wall Street Journal. But uh, the, Did they list it on their list? Well, the New York Times, they did. New York Times refused to even put it on the list, even though it was number one. This is my new book that isn't just the bad stuff they're doing with a huge breakdown with all the proof at the back. It is also... Uh, solutions and how to counter them. So this book will keep us on air. Plus, it's a great book. I hope people get it at InfoWarsStore.com. Or they can also get signed copies there or they can go to Amazon.com. But uh, yeah, this is a way to keep us on air. Plus, it really is an amazing book. If people want to see a lot of the stuff I told you, but with footnotes, so you can go right to it, everything I say. When I say Naval Noah Harari says the future is not human and that the population uh, is no longer needed and the future is, you know, there'll be no more humans. You can actually go to where he said it. Uh, when I said that Jeffrey Epstein was 
running a Mossad slash CIA MI6 operation to uh, blackmail top scientists to control them. We have links to that. When I say Peter Nygaard is on trial right now, was having women have babies, his babies, so they could abort them at eight months and then he could suck all their juices out and inject them into himself. A, a real vampire that literally takes the juices of his children, puts them in his body. We have a transcript of him saying that on TV. Who is this? A, a Peter Nygaard is one of the big buddies of Epstein and all them. He was kind of running his own Jeffrey Epstein operation, also in the Caribbean. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, this book is super, super hardcore. It's got an amazing forward uh, by Steve Bannon. And they had a great researcher. He's also a lawyer, uh, Kent Heckenlively, went through and double-checked everything I said for the book, obviously, so they wouldn't get sued. So this thing is well-researched, well-documented. It is the Great Awakening. Because the Great Awakening is the counter to the globalist Great Reset to destroy society and then build back better. But it seems asymmetrical at best. I mean, you have all the power on the global rate on one side, and then the majority that doesn't like it. So, <laughs> I mean, like, how, how do decent people prevail? They believe they can push it by deception. That's why people are aware of why they're cutting off the fertilizer to collapse the third world, to then flood us with those giant populations they will then control and give voting rights to. And if you don't want to give them voting rights, then you're a racist. See, that's why the lockdown's biggest crime wasn't just the 80-plus million the U.N. estimates starved to death the last three and a half years on top of the normal 15 million they starved to death each year. You looked this up. They then use those giant masses of people that are fleeing total collapse as their new political underclass. So, so that's why it's so vital to not just challenge the Great Reset and the New World Order eugenics operation of the transhumanists. It's vital to then give an alternative plan and, and have an alternative debate about that plan. And that's what the Great Awakening gets into. So, but if you give up on that, you also sell bourbon. Man, you are really being nice here today, Tucker. And <laughs> well, have, you know why? You know, I want. I, I hate selling products, but I like this product because I love the name. Look at this right here. This, my friends, is a, a gift to your crew because I know they drank. I had some drinks with them last night when we called Brian Stelter. <laughs> this, some of the crew does drink. Yes, that's true. So so this is for you. We've got a few other bottles for you uh, out there. Something I can't even open this thing. This thing was sealed. Maybe it got locked on the airplane. Anyways, can somebody open this? I'm like here embarrassing. No, hold on. I think the the center thing. I don't I don't travel with guns very often, so I don't know how to operate these. I'm gonna smash this son of a bitch up. There we go. Son of a bitch. <laughs> All right, goddammit. Look at that. It doesn't come like this in stores. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill the people that came up with this. Swap that into the studio. We're rolling. Okay, that was amazing. This whiskey does not come with a hatchet to open it. Um, or a black light, but if you does it come with a black light? No, but if you have one. But if you have a black light, by the way, I don't think I've ever sold a product on the air, but I'm proud to uh, say we it. appreciate you supporting. Oh, dude, come on, I'm totally all about it. Um <laughs> What does that say? I'm going to let you read that. It says, uh, thus to tyrants, meaning death to tyrants. Yeah. I, I recognize that phrase. I think it was uttered in Ford's theater. Thank Man. you, brother. Well, it's... enough of that. I didn't mean to turn it to who's so, extravaganza. So I, I want to... I... The book is more important, but... So the last topic I want to hit with you, I could go on for hours. We're trying to... We're trying to get the audience of this social media app 
to believe that you can have longer content because it was, you know, originally designed for very short, you know, brain droppings. But well, I think you've succeeded the biggest English speaking show ever. I mean, it's bigger than Jimmy Carson, bigger than Joe Rogan. Congratulations. Showing that freedom is successful. And well, popular. thank you. Well, we're grateful that it's a. No, it's I'm a, grateful to you. you that we have that. free speech. But I, I. But anyway, but here's here's my question. So, all of the trends that you describe, I think very credibly, and I'm a little bit surprised, but not at all ashamed to say I agree with pretty much everything that you've said, um, amazingly. But I do, and I think most reasonable people, if they just drop the kind of filter and stop lying to themselves and and ask like, where's the lie and what he's saying, I think we come to the same conclusion. But all of those trends are being forced to kind of ahead or, or they're gonna to come to fruition or something's going to happen in the next 13 months because we have a presidential election on the books and you have this car crash and I just do not see how it's resolved. Uh, do you? Like what's well, gonna happen? Uh, again, I, uh, it's the truth. Really the only show I watch every day is yours when you have a new show because <clears throat> I don't just agree with you, I learn stuff every time. And what you've been saying the last few months is dead on and, and, and a lot of people agree with you and I know I do that you look at the trajectory of this, how they're escalating on Trump, whether you love him or hate him. He's now a populist icon. Uh, he, he's now the underdog. Uh, the globalists are coming after him. They're coming after our right to vote for who we want. He gets 60%. Which is the fundamental right in a democracy. I, the people rule. I can vote for whomever I want. It does, and if you don't like that person, that's immaterial. Absolutely. Right? And he's been indicted for saying they're stealing elections. They're stealing it. Try, oh, you, I'm aware. Well, yeah, absolutely. And they're indictments of him. Is election theft, but yes. So, so, but despite that, he's got 60% against all other Republicans. He's 15, 20 points ahead of Biden. It's backfired, but the deep state's not going to stop. So when you said to Trump several times in that 400 million views or whatever you got, biggest show ever, you know, you said to him, well, isn't the next thing them trying to kill you? And he, he, he's so confident. He doesn't want to think about that. And we're, well, he whereas, doesn't want to think about it. That's whereas right. I admire someone that's that comp confident you know, the deep state does kill people. And, and 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 that's their only next move because this is failing. And and I think they're going to kill Biden too. Or I think they're going to try to... What you said in a speech again, before the last one I talked about, like a month ago, you said, I don't see Biden and Trump being the candidates. You see the system, the media going after Biden, and he deserves it, but they were covering it up until yes. now. Now they're covering the laptop. Now they're covering attack on the dog. Now they're covering, you know, all of his senility. All the corruption, the Chinese spies. Attacking a dog. What a pig he is. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I was told that by Secret Service and by uh, yeah. people that, let's just say, work with them. And I'm going to leave it at that. But and I actually have a contact for you. I'd like to be able to hear it from them. But when this is over, I'll let you actually hear it from yourself. I think they'll tell you off record. I think they're willing to talk to you. Uh, but yeah, he, he, he is completely out of his mind. He wanders around for the entire two and a half years. It's getting worse. Naked in the White House. Uh, in the middle of the night, doesn't know who he is. They have to give him a bunch of drugs, yeah. a bunch of amphetamines in the morning. Then they've got to drug him uh, at night. Sometimes he's got to, though, he'll like be out for the morning for a while and then he comes back out at night for a ball. That's when there's a real problem. He is on drugs. I, I have established that. I know someone who witnessed it. I'm not guessing at this. I know someone personally who witnessed him uh, taking amphetamines. And this was this was during the 2016 uh, 20, 2020 election. So how's this going to? That's huge. I know you don't play games. You've been proven no, I don't play games. With this it was a, well, I'll just say he's a makeup artist. Well, uh, no, you, you artist said the NSA that. spying on me, high level, and then a month later they went, yes, we're spying on Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I know. So so I, you don't make stuff up. And so what I'm saying here is, Biden's a liability for him. Trump's a liability. What do they do? They have a right winger. They'll claim assassinate Biden. 
and they'll have a left-winger assassinate Trump. That then gets the country even in more of a fight against each other. And then they put in Gavin Newsom uh, and, you know, somebody like Mike Pence or who knows. But I really think the next 13 months is the most critical time, not just in American history, but world history. Because if they can bring down America, they're going to bring down the world. And then you've got the escalation. Remember a year ago, Biden said, you can't give F-16s and, and, and uh, Abrams tanks and cruise missiles to the Ukrainians, that's World War III. Now they're doing it. So as Russia wins that war, as Colonel McGregor documented a few months ago with you, NATO is escalating. Well, that leads right to nuclear war. So we're so close. That fundamentally makes me so mad. This transcends politics. Since when do Democrats love war? Since when do Democrats love the intelligence agencies? They, they love them now. And, and so really the Democratic- so dark. Just so like the dark. Republican Party is a beachhead for sanity and populism. It's not perfect, but it's a beachhead. The Democratic Party is totally turned over to evil. That's why I thought RFK Jr. was so refreshing, but they're shutting him out of the primary process. They're blocking him. And so now he's going to run third party, which will take away from Trump. Most experts agree. I know Trump's people have looked at it, they think so. Of course. Uh, so that's very, very sad. So, do I mean, do you think, I mean, normally at this, you know, so we're in October, I guess, um, in the year before the election, you can sort of see the outlines pretty clear. I mean, in October of 1999, I was pretty confident it was going to be George W. Bush versus Al Gore. I mean, you sort of know ahead of time. But are, do you think that we're going to see on Election Day 2024 a ballot with Biden and Trump on it? I've been saying I think they may assassinate him or claim they had a heart attack. And then, But I was thinking about each one individually. But I think when you said that a month ago, it was prescient that that's the next move. That's the, if, if I get in their mind and I'm evil, and I'm Machiavelli, that is what they have to do. But the election just forces the point. I mean, I guess I actually don't think that their preference is overt violence or anything that people notice. I mean, they much rather covert. resort to stealth, right, covert rather than overt. But I just think, you know, there's an election on the books and like something's going to happen. Well, that's what you're saying. All their tactics of covert aren't working. So with, as we saw with JFK in 1963 in Dallas, they will go over. Uh, and, and, and so we have governors declaring emergencies to take the guns. All of that is, and then suddenly Democrats are against sanctuary cities when they're the ones saying, Governor Hochul and, 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 and the uh, mayor of New York, come here, come here. Now they're like, oh, we never said come here. I think it's dawning on Democrats they've been betrayed. And maybe there's some point where Democrats will have self-preservation, you know, the average voter, and, and say, no, we need to turn against this. This is totalitarian. This is dangerous. This is evil. Uh, but if that isn't the case, the deep... But here's the problem. Even if Democrats wake up, the system will know that from their internal polls. The establishment will. They're going to make a big move. And is that a full-out war with Russia? A full-out war with China? Uh, is, it, is it them allowing the jihadi sleeper cells that are in America that have torn across our border that are waiting to let them activate? And I'm not saying our government controls them, but they've let other governments bring them in. And they've given funding to those governments. And now if we don't see strong signals against, against Iran, I don't want war with Iran. What I'm saying is strong signals telling Iran, do not fund terror groups. And if we don't see strong repudiation of Joe Biden, that will green light the security services to go ahead and let this new attack happen. And a massive jihadi attack in America could be the way to bring in martial law and cancel the election. Also, Klaus Schwab loves a telegraph. So is the UN. It is imminent. A cyber attack bringing down the power grid will make COVID look like absolutely nothing. It's basically his quote. I think I've got it almost exactly. And, 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 and so 
Will they cut the power before the election? I mean, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. So people need to be vigilant and understand that we want to let the system know we're aware. We want to promote the values of free speech and of family and of self-defense and of local control and of free market, rugged individualism and a competitive civilization and a colorblind society that Martin Luther King Jr. talked about. We need to go back to the things that made us great that threaten the CCP and threaten the globalists of the UN because they're selling tyranny and eating bugs and being locked down in your houses and forced injections and two men can have a baby. We're selling normal human biology and success and culture. And so I just think we have to give the alternate plan to their dystopia. We have to challenge their dystopia, but also give the alternate plan, which enough people aren't doing. But, but that's Trump's big sin is his optimism. America's great. Everybody's beautiful. We have such potential. And as soon as the world heard America was open for business, we saw trillions flood instantly in because our leaders had said America's not open for business. Invest in China and India and Mexico, where the globalists have middleman deals to get all the money and all the power instead of the people getting it. It, it was Henry Ford, wasn't a perfect guy, but he, he said, the, the other auto manufacturers, you know, this, this came out in federal documents in the later antitrust suits because you know, he didn't get in trouble. They did. They said to him, the other auto manufacturers, they said, why are you going to pay your employees three times what we do? And he said, because I won't just, I don't want just rich people buying my cars. I want my employees to prime the market to buy it. They'll give me all the money back buying the Model T and then that'll supercharge it. So that's the two different systems. Build this illustrious, incredibly exciting, roaring civilization of laissez-faire or let these big guys that already made all the money centralize control, shut us all down and vertically integrate so they're in control and then kill competition. So we have to kill the globalist program that's anti-free market, anti-capitalist. It's monopolistic. It's anti-human. It's, it's a bunch of degenerate, inbred, third, fourth generation elites who didn't make all this money, who didn't create all this stuff, but that have decided we don't even get to take part in it while they take part in it and live like kings. So it's us or them, Tucker, and, and we've got to crush the globalists. We've got to crush the New World Order. We've got to challenge them or they're going to destroy the planet. I believe that. Last question. Where will you be in five years? Are you going to stay in this country? Can you stay in this country? I mean, speaking of escalation, uh, again, I, I still have never figured out what your crime is, but you have been persecuted for something um, in, in, in a, an escalating way. I got two subpoenas last week. Subpoenas? I got subpoenas uh, on January 6th, again, on a criminal investigation. Well, you didn't do anything on January 6th. And I got subpoenaed in Trump's criminal trial in Georgia. On what ground? On what? And then my lawyer called and said, what is this? And uh, the, uh, they, they said, well, we, we don't just want him as a witness. He's a subject. I had nothing to do with Georgia. But I'm not saying it's bad they went and challenged it. That's their right. I mean, I went and protested there. So it, it's just pure intimidation. So I have a problem. It's that I don't like to cut and run. I'm not the toughest guy around, but growing up in Dallas was some pretty rough people. Some big guy started to fight with me. I, I just couldn't back off. Uh, and I almost always won those fights or, or, or you know, went to the hospital trying. And so I decided to go down with the ship. Uh, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to leave the country. Uh, I'm not going to back down. And I'm going to continue to fight with everything I've got. I'll never sell out. I'll never give in. I could give out. That's why support's critical and word of mouth. 
because Alex Jones is seen as a focal point, like capture the flag by the globalists. If they can shut me down, they believe they can shut anybody down. They've said that. And so it's human intelligence and human action and word of mouth. Talking about Infowars.com, my show, what I do, is a test case, almost like Stalingrad in World War II, where all these forces of the globalists keep thinking, we beat this guy at this city, at this point, at this battle, we win. And so I don't think I'm even that important. I've just been chosen as this main battle point. So all these grassroots people and people like you and other great folks are supporting me through just supporting the First Amendment. And, and, you know, and, and so I've got that backing and that enrages the globalists. So the more they throw against me, the more support I get. And it's really become a historic battle. If I'm completely manned and debanked and shut down and can't operate, uh, only then would I try to evacuate somewhere to try to keep my show on the air. But I've looked at it and I don't even think that that's the case. You know, once they disrupt and shut down something, um, it's, it, it's very hard to restart it. The good news is there are so many other great talk show hosts, so many other great people that now understand this and even have perspectives better than mine that I'm not obsolete yet, but thanks to you and thanks to Russell Brand, they're trying to now set up and, you know, Joe Rogan's come a long way and Steve Bannon and countless other shows that I tune into that have high level understanding and teach me a lot. And I'm and my head's in the game. So you're our champion, Tucker. And, and, and there are other people, you know, uh, lesser, I know you, I know you don't want to be the top dog, but you are, that's why you're under attack. Thanks to you. I know no matter what happens to me, men and women are going to continue the fight forward into the future. But this is an Alamo situation. I'm not evacuating. I'm not leaving. I'm not going. How'd they do at the Alamo? Do you remember? Everybody got killed. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, 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 but that example led to a big, big yeah, you know, my mom's family uh, raised Colonel Travis's son. And, and on my dad's side too, they were heavily involved. First Texas families, we have like Mexican land grants for our property. We still have Mexican land. We paid for 12 cents an acre, like 1825. Uh, in East Texas, you know, you come visit. So it's not as cool as your place, but it's pretty cool. Uh, and uh, the last letter he wrote on that piece of wallpaper was uh, to one of my great, 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 great grandfathers in Gonzales, Texas, saying, please take care of my little boy. Uh, and so, uh, but Travis knew he was going to die, but he was like, I, I got 10,000 troops coming in on our 200 and something. We're going to give them one hell of a fight and kill a bunch of them before they can get up north for the main battle. And they killed thousands, you know, 3,000, it's estimated, uh, we go from memory, uh, Mexican troops. And so I, that's, that'd be an honor to have like 10,000 troops coming at me and I'm in the Alamo. I, I don't have a death wish, but man, it gets me high as a kite. And, and, and so I'm not doing what Colonel Travis did. The only reason they got beat is they ran out of ammo, basically. They had powder, but no more, no more ball. And they were fighting with swords at the end. So those are tough men. And I don't even measure up to them, but I want to try to measure up. And so it's very exciting. It's, it, it's instinctive. It's spiritual to be defending humanity and prosperity and freedom and justice against these globalist child trafficking monsters, the open border, all this evil. I mean, so my, my cells tell me to do this. My guts, my sinews say, you're ordered to do this. And I don't feel good unless I do it. And so the bigger the attacks get, it's the old World War II saying, when the planes were over the target, they didn't really have radar, but they knew the bases and the factories had flak. So they're shooting at them with artillery anti-aircraft artillery, so you flew into that. And so me, the best place I want to be is in the flak, but I also hate the flak because we can blow up and we're not in the fight anymore. So there's that paradox, but 90% of me wants to be in the flak, 10% says maybe you should steer a little around it because you don't want to get knocked out. And, and until just a few years ago, I felt really bad because it didn't seem the paradigm had been shattered and people didn't actually read the globalist documents. Now there's been a paradigm shattering and I'm almost obsolete, Tucker. And as soon as that happens, as soon as I see 
another couple hundred more prominent people that actually know what's going on. They've already reached chain reaction point. I'm going to hang it up and disappear like Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Alex Jones. Thank you. Thank you. What a great conversation. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your courage, Tucker. Thank you. Love your crew. Great energy. Thank you. Americana, baby.